1: Uh, Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Um, Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Uh, Today, my guests are John and Brendan. They're members of Gamblers Anonymous, and they'll be sharing how GA, Gamblers Anonymous, has helped them to recover from compulsive gambling. So, welcome to the 3CR Studio this afternoon. Hi, uh, how are you doing? Hello, Bill. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm doing pretty well. Um, so, what we usually talk about on the show is growing up, the things that got us attracted us to, to gambling, and yeah, you know, and then then your story of going into the gambling, um, going up to the gambling apex, and then coming down from the gambling apex. Um, finding Gamblers Anonymous and, you know, your your path to recovery. So that's really, you know, what we're talking about. Um, And so it's really talking about John and Brendan's stories, and it's better if they're told in their own words. And so, John, would you like to tell us what life was like for you growing up?
0: Yeah. Well, Bill, I I come from a dysfunctional family that uh, uh, both drank and gambled, And uh, my earliest memories of this is uh, when I was five or six years old and I lived in uh, Richmond in Victoria here and um, I would spend a lot of my time at the hotel where my mother and stepfather drank that. And uh, beside the hotel was a laneway that uh, there was an SP bookmaker uh, operating. So Saturdays I'd spend up there and I used to witness everything that was going on and that's when I first became aware of gambling. And this is horses, race racehorses. Um, I schemed um, because I was given some money, uh, just pocket money, and I uh, would... Go around, and they. I can't remember my first bet, but uh, they actually did take money off me for a, a wager that I wanted to place, and that uh, was very, very small money, but they still took it, and that was it. I was uh, hooked, hooked
1: yeah. on gambling. Yeah. How old were we
0: you? I think I was about five or six.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's and pretty was, amazing, isn't it? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. A lot of people won't really understand what an SP bookie is. So, do you want to explain?
0: Uh, SP booking for racehorses is a horse that uh, races, and when it wins, if it wins, you get the starting price of that horse. And, uh, and how, paid... do
1: you, how do you determine the starting price? What's The, the...
0: bookmaker's on course to that. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yep. So if it's a four to one, five to one, and it wins, would well, you get the odds of five to one or six to one. So right. that's an SP bookmaker. This is well, well before the TAB came in. Yeah. So uh, I used to scheme uh, from there to get money to be able to gamble um, on the horses of a Saturday because it was really only the Saturday meetings in those days, and uh, I'm 72, so that's a long while ago.
1: Yeah. So what did you do to get money?
0: Well, I uh, I also, at the hotel, I was able to observe the fact that the paper boys were selling papers on a Saturday evening, and they'd be selling, it was called the different papers, but one of them was the uh, the Herald, not the Herald Sun, it was the yeah. Herald, and also the pink paper, which was a sporting globe that had all the sports yeah. results of that day, football and horse racing, So, and they were getting money, so I decided that um, I could do that, but uh, I collected the uh, old newspapers, because in Richmond where we lived there was a newspaper shop up the end of the street, it was on Bridge Road actually, and um, I collected up there the returns and I uh, picked them up and took them home and separated them and uh, (laughs) end up on the Saturdays. I'd take them up to the hotel before the six o'clock swill and I'd uh, sell them to the uh, patrons up there that were inebriated and I got away with that for a few weeks, but then the uh, uh, the patron, the the hotel owner, he uh, he caught me, and uh, because of the complaints from the people in the pub, and uh, <laughs> I end up getting barred at the age of six or seven, five or six, it was actually. Yeah, he'd being barred from a hotel at uh, the Spread Eagle Hotel in Richmond. Yes,
1: right, okay. <laughs> Oh, sounds classic. Um, so what about you, Brandon? What was your early life like?
2: Um, my early life was what you would probably consider to be quite a standard Australian family bring, bring, upbringing. I had a younger sister. I had two hardworking parents who were both single children who worked very hard to provide for me and my sister obviously what they felt they didn't get whilst they were growing up. Um, we always had... Um, We had the nicer cars, we had the nice house. Um, We were very fortunate in what we received and if we wanted something, we generally were able to receive it from my parents. My upbringing was very good. I went to good schools. Yeah, I guess that's how I was brought up. Yeah. So were you good at school? I was good after a certain age. I was probably good after I was um, that general 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old bracket, um, when it got time to get serious and work out, you know, what do you want to do with your life? Um, get serious, study. Um, the lure of a car being purchased um, for me for my 18th birthday, if I was to achieve a certain result, um, it was probably pretty good. Driving, and I've got a very good memory, so I didn't really have the need to study excessively per se. I could spend a lot of time on. At that time, was MSN Messenger or. You know, yep. there was no Facebook back then. So <laughs> whatever means, I could communicate with my friends at the time, yep. landlines, yep. Um, dial up internet. So, <laughs> The good old days. Yeah, for me, they were the good old days.
1: <laughs> yeah, people complain about the NBN, but they just forget about our history.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, when did you get exposed to gambling? Um, I think you're probably always exposed to it at some point, you know, having the spring racing carnival um having you know um advertising on tv sports betting um but i can pinpoint the first time i actually gambled i was 17 i had a fake id from a family friend who i had an uncanny resemblance to um we were at crown casino for a birthday um upstairs at a bar look downstairs and all you can see is uh flashing lights noise money coins um and I guess you go down there at nighttime, and from that moment, that was probably when the, the first real hook was, was thrown out, and I was in.
1: Yep. So was it only pokies?
2: Uh, 90, if I had to put a percentage on it, 95% of my addiction was, was pokies and machines, and the other bit was a little bit of tables, but even being at the casino, I still would prefer to be sitting in front of a machine than what I would sitting in front of somebody live talking to them whilst playing.
1: Yep. So why was that? Why was
2: the, the isolation? What what attracted you? Um, knowing what I know now, I'm I think the, the quick win, the, the the buzz from the the lights, the noise, the um, the ability to switch off from the outside world and be at be at one with your thoughts, to be alone, have no one sort of talking to you because there is no communication in a pokey venue between people sitting, you know, thirty centimetres apart. You can completely transfixed. They have a lure, and a, you know they're designed to keep you there for longer. And they're yeah. getting better at it.
1: Yeah, so it, it's almost competition. You're in competition with the other people, aren't you? In real terms. Yeah, you to are. Get a you, win. Re-
2: yeah. You, you really are. And you know, once you have, you know, even a even even a loss, they they mask it as a win. You know, you you, yeah. you know, you bet a dollar, you win thirty cents, and the noise comes out that you've had a win, and then yeah. you get the, you get that little endorphin hit. And gradually over time, that endorphin becomes harder to get and you just plunge deeper and deeper. Yep. Uh,
1: So were your friends involved as well at that point?
2: Um, I had friends who who gambled, yes. Um, But for me, I would spend time with them gambling when we were together. But I would spend a lot more time on my own, especially in my late adolescence, um, all the way until I was you in my early 20s when things really... Uh, Spirred out of control and I had my first big um, reveal. Um, so, yeah, I was always exposed and always around and had the ability and the means to gamble. Yeah. So
1: when did you gamble? What sort of times?
2: Um, when I was in my late teens, it was during work time. I was working in a profession where I had a lot of time during the day, a lot of unallocated time, if you would say, where I could just sort of disappear. Yep. Um, and then, you know, you could, you could get back and have a very good memory. I have the ability to to talk and, and lie and be deceitful. So I was able to um, mask up where I was or tell very convincing lies to the people I needed to to make them believe that I was doing what I said I was doing.
1: Yeah. And having a good memory helped.
2: It definitely helped. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, so how, how heavily were you into the pokies?
2: Uh, I guess in, in terms of monetary-wise early on, it wasn't. I wasn't the. I wasn't the the person at the venue that was doing the maximum bets all the time for continuous amounts of time because I didn't have the access to that to that much funding. Yeah. Um, and back then, you could do you know upwards of ten dollars a spin at local venues. Um, yeah. And for me, it was never about the volume of money. It was about the time and the time sitting there in front of it, um, being completely perplexed and in a different zone. Yep. I've so. heard
1: that zone before yeah
2: yeah yeah so what is it like in the zone um well I guess if you, you pick an activity that you love and yep. you get a feeling from it whether it be exercise or you know doing something you're passionate about and then sharing that with somebody when you're in the zone when you're gambling I liken it to having all those feelings but completely inside you like there's just no it's just inside a bubble yep. there's nothing else there's no one can get in no one's getting out you 're just there alone yep and you mentioned before the reveal, so what
1: what caused that to happen that other people fi- found out
2: well, I got in trouble at, at where, I, where I was employed i was um, I'd done some things i 'm not proud of I had schemed I had lied i'd stolen to to get funds to gamble with um, and it all sort of, it caught up um, and everything came out. Well, not everything, but majority of it came out to my parents and to those around me. And that was my, you know, my first bust, you know, being caught out per se. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Uh, at the time, I, I really didn't think much of it. I just thought, you know, it Damn is what it, it is. I've, I've been bailed out. I got in a bit of trouble. I, sold the, I, got, I had to sell the car that I was given. I received, you know, some bailouts and some financial assistance um, from family to get me out of trouble because no one wants to see their children in trouble, um, and I guess I sort of just started from there, you know, convincing everyone that I was okay and th- that I was just normal. Yep. Were there any requirements on you after that? There was, I, I you know, I was required to attend GA, which I did a couple of times, only to leave and go straight to a venue with my friends, and we thought it was a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a laugh and a bit of you know, I'm not I'm not like these guys. Yep. Um And then the requirement was that I had to. Uh, I was accountable for my time. I had to spend a lot of time with my father. I had to go to work with him. During that time, I was accountable for every minute of the day where I was, what I was doing money-wise, what I was spending, my accounts. Um, I was monitored pretty closely for what I call then a a fair amount of time, Um, but was still able to find a way and a means to gamble sporadically at that stage, I would say. Okay,
1: right. Uh, Back to you, John. Um, So after being... Barn from a hotel at six year old six years old, <laughs> how did your life progress? Uh, well it continued
0: um, on with uh, into my teenage years uh, uh, bear in mind that we couldn 't bet during the week at um, uh, because you know there was no there was virtually maybe one meeting a week uh, during those times but then on saturdays i'd uh, i 'd look forward to Saturdays because um, my mother uh, from the, the house would operate a an SP bookie program where people would ring our home and place bets for a bookmaker. But she was the um, receptionist as such and taking the uh, tickets. So she was more like a bookmaker's clerk. And it was the, via um, the telephone, as I said. So uh, I would um, stay home, not go out with my friends. I lost a lot of time uh, in my youth because of this, staying home on a Saturday, just predominantly to, to punt all, all day. Uh, from there it uh, went on to, uh, I played a lot of footy, um, then the TAB was, uh, able to, uh, was introduced to us. Uh, the TAB allowed me to play spits um, prior to races uh, at, say, 12 o'clock or whatever time the TAB opened. I'd go to the TAB, outlaid my money. Um, and that was good because I couldn't uh, collect straight away. You had to collect the following day or whatever. And so uh, I still had money that I was able to um, uh, collect if I had a win, So then I played football, so that was a bit of a relief. But once again, I still kept gambling. I got married at the age of 19, and I was, I was still gambling, working hard to support a family, wife and family, but it I didn't uh, inhibit my gambling. Uh, uh, punting and the way I was punting but it, unfortunately it got a lot um m- a lot more serious for me because uh I was gambling quite a lot and uh, I still had uh obligations that I had to fill but I couldn't do that and gamble and uh that led me to a path of um once again being dishonest, uh scheming, trying to get uh money just for the gamble, just for the punt. Nothing else. Everything there was no uh no money for anything else in my life except for punting, so from then I was uh, charged with uh, a f- a fraud and uh, I was sentenced to uh, prison. I had a prison sentence, uh, but even in that prison sentence, even before the the judge, I didn't go. I went to a magistrate, but then I was put uh, towards the uh, a judge in the county court but uh, I never disclosed that I had a gambling problem never disclosed, Mm. everyone else most probably knew or my friends people knew because of the way how could I afford to go to the races and stay in TABs and things like that but it was because of the fraud that lasted some years and that was the the reasons of me being imprisoned it was quite a substantial amount of money and uh, uh, so that took me up to uh, 19... three years and three months, so it took me up to 1990, Christmas 1990 when I was released and uh, then I uh, moved out and uh, uh, started gambling again, in prison I even gambled, you know with a, um, in my situation with a compulsive gambler in prison I was able to gamble and they st- they do, gamble with cigarettes well that's the only time I was ever successful uh, <laughs> punting was uh, with these <laughs> packets of cigarettes and um, Did you smoke? No, I didn't smoke. I didn't smoke. But I I won... I I seemed to... Yeah, I was very popular with the other prisoners because uh, (laughs) even then it was... uh, They wanted cigarettes, couldn't afford it because you get a canteen, you get paid for a daily... get paid uh, a wage, which you get at the end of the week, and it goes into a bank account, and uh, they go to the canteen, they're able to buy cigarettes. But in between, that's only once a week or twice a week maybe, but in between, they... uh, Run out of money, no money in their in their bank, paid by the government, and uh, they would come to me, and uh, I would uh, give them packets of cigarettes. And it's cruel, but um, they would give me uh, packets of cigarettes, and uh, I would uh, say to them, if they can't pay me back in cigarettes, which I didn't want, uh, just buy this or certain um, certain items from the uh, canteen. So. Uh, they went without those, having chocolate bars and things like that. and uh, Yeah, but I was still in denial that I had a gambling problem. Yeah. And uh, so, as I say, I was released in 1990 and went to my first GA meeting in 1991 at uh, South Melbourne.
1: Yeah. So what was your family thinking when all this was going, when your gambling was happening?
0: When you're in that sort of uh, mindset, um, they didn't disown me. Uh, I was an embarrassment for them. My um, reputation was uh, absolutely gone because was, uh, my uh, case was in the media and uh, on the uh, in the newspapers. So uh, my reputation was shot. But you know what? I never really worried about it, and I, and and the I never worried um, to a certain amount. I never worried, unfortunately, about my family. It was the gambling that it was. Um, the gambling that uh, consumed me 24-7. Yep. It, and it just, uh, it just it was a terrible, terrible, dark place to be in. And looking back upon it, you know, I can never repair that to my family. I can never, ever replace what I did.
1: Yeah. Okay, thank you. Well, listen, we might take a quick break.
0: G'day, this is Jacob from Friday Rave. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at five o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you and us. A Friday rave, bringing the five o'clock drinks debrief to you here on Community Radio 3CR.
1: Ah, you're listening to Living Free Show. On 3CR, 855 kHz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've got nearly 100 episodes of our show available as podcasts on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash free, uh, so you can check them out. If you want to contact us, you can send us a message via email on 3crlivingfree at gmail.com or call us uh, at 3cr94198377. We're also on Twitter as 3crlivingfree. Uh, I'm talking with John and Brendan, and we're talking about uh, compulsive gambling and how to recover from that with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. Um, so, Brendan, you you got found out. Things started to change. You went to GA, but didn't really connect. Didn't take it seriously. At didn't all. take it seriously. <laughs> yep. That's that's about it. So, how did your life progress? with
2: trying controlled gambling? I think probably for a fair while, I was able to control the gambling because I didn't have access to you know, unlimited funds. I didn't have credit cards. I didn't have the ability to gamble all the time because I was more accountable for my time. Um, in the meantime, I'd met my now wife. Um, we'd sort of progressed in our relationship um, and decided that uh, travelling was something that we wanted to do. Um, so, in order for us to do that, we needed money. And by working, both of us were working. We had minimal expenses. We were able to travel. We were able to travel. Um, and I guess I wasn't, you know, get binge gambling, and I wasn't uh, gambling at the levels that I was earlier. But I was always still gambling at some point, or when I could, or when the opportunity arose. Yeah. So, how did those opportunities? Um, oh, it's just themselves. Weekends going out for the boys to watch a footy, or you know, uh, Melbourne Cup, or um, going to the casino for a birthday or a a work function or something on those lines. There's always there's there's, there's there was always an opportunity to do it, yep. and it was just whether or not I had the time or the money or the ability to do it. Okay, so it's like having a second life, isn't
1: it? Gambling on the sly.
2: it's, oh, it's completely. It's another person. Yep. It's just. It's so self-involving and, and, and all-consuming of your life that that no matter where, what you have going on in your life, it, it, it doesn't take a backseat on purpose. It's just on the backseat because of the addiction. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so how about travel? Did travel afford opportunities to gamble?
2: Not really, um, especially traveling to the United States a lot. Um, the ability to gamble is very limited over there. It's illegal in many states. You can only gamble when you're in Vegas or Atlantic City or if you're on a cruise ship like we were when you're in international water. So the ability to gamble whilst on holidays was, again, minimal and I was also accountable for all my time. So I had I, someone to be responsible for. I wasn't aware of that, that gambling prohibition in the US. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's really it's unbelievable. You can watch a whole three-hour game of football and not see one advertisement for gambling gambling at all wow incredible yeah unless you're in vegas of course and then yeah. you know it's all you're surrounded by
1: yeah yeah i guess we could learn a lot from them yeah. and they, they can learn a lot from us with gun control um okay so so you you got married
2: and how you know how did your life progress once you were in a close relationship i think it progressed how it naturally does you know you get married you you buy a house you want to start a family um we had some difficulties in starting a family it took us a, a bit longer than you know what you, what you hope for you know naturally you think you know one try and you're going to be yeah. done and that's yeah. it um we then i uh, went down to a single income couple um my wife fell pregnant um and that's when I, you know, I sort of look back now and think that's when the financial strain on myself, I think, I put on myself for wanting to provide everything, you know, for my family and not have to make my wife work, um, so that we can have a family. Um, and then wanting to have, you know, the, the the dream world of the compulsive gambler that we talk about is having all of the the flashy things and showing everybody that you're this big shot when when really you're not and you haven't worked hard to earn that, you just have a persona and a facade that you put up.
1: Yep. Okay. Um, Back to you, John. Um, So I think we left you when you just got out of prison um, for fraud. But I guess working up to that, to get yourself into a position of committing fraud to uh, financial gambling. So, what was what were the sort of things you had to do to allow yourself to gamble?
0: Well, fraud being one of them and being um, deceptive. Um, uh, but Bill, I also used. I also was able to uh, win on an occasion, and that uh, allowed me to gamble into the uh, into the next couple of weeks because some of them I, I was winning. Uh, Uh, large amounts of money so it wasn't as though I was stealing every day to furnish my uh, addiction so I know that uh, I got behind a long time a long way behind in my uh, uh, paying off my house with the mortgage that I had that was at a younger age and um, I I got something like six months behind but uh, I was able to win enough money to to clear that that for six months but six months later I was in the same situation so um, <laughs> I was still scheming like even at um, during the evenings um, when I go to sleep uh, I was uh, scheming in my mind if I didn't have money or what I would do where the next race meeting was um, and how I'd obtain money so that's basically um, that was my lifestyle that was my lifestyle Uh, I'd gamble, um, go to races um, quite often, even during the week. Uh, I'd take time off work, uh, unbeknownst to my employer. Uh, I'd take time off work, I'd uh, go to the races and uh, sometimes I'd I'd go okay, but uh, other times I'd chase and chase money. That's when I got myself into a lot of trouble, when um, I lost money and the chase was on. I wanted to try and retrieve what I had lost. And when I couldn't obtain that... um, Money that I'd lost. That's when I got myself into more trouble by being uh, <clears throat> fraudulent and uh, scheming to get money illegally. All the time illegally, because uh, and through my wages, I'd uh, I'd burn my wages um, quite frequently. On the same week, I'd uh, attend the greyhound meeting on a Thursday night. Well, nine times out, of, uh, nearly every week it was a weekly pay would be on a, a Thursday night, but sometimes on a friday morning i was uh, financially bankrupt and uh, gone and uh i'd start scheming again on the thursday night when i got home from the greyhounds and yeah. uh
1: so so what did your wife think
0: about your gambling uh, i think it was because we were we uh, we met each other when we were uh at teenagers 15 mm. 16 yeah. or even earlier because um, her uh, her father was my fir- first football coach in an underage side, but uh when I was able to get my license, I would take her to the trots out at the showgrounds every Saturday night, so she 'd become yep. accustomed to right. it and uh and i 'd have some wins again and she was uh, maybe a fine weather salesman sailor and yep. she would uh, she 'd like it because as I said when I first started out there was few there was there were some good wins, and that was early in my career but uh then I uh, progressively started gambling more heavily and more frequently and uh, that's when the downturn came. You know, I'd get a tip for a horse on a uh, on a Saturday and uh, I'd go to the races and I'd have this money, but because greed had set in with me and I'd uh, try and accumulate more money by gambling on the uh, races, not only at the venue that we went to, but interstate and... Uh, and then when it came to the time when uh, this uh, tip had come around um, and I knew the owners, and I had no money. Yeah. I had no money yeah. and I was uh, either trying to borrow, but obviously the people I wanted to borrow from, they were saving their money up the punt on this horse as well. And I can't believe the amount of times that the tips I had, by the time I got to it I was broke and the horses won. Yeah. And I had nothing on it. So it was a, um absolute... Uh, Really disaster for me, and I just couldn't uh, in my punting uh, days understand why the good luck wouldn't last as long as the bad luck. Uh, Bad luck being the money that I lost, yeah, uh, Yeah. the good luck being when I was on a bit of a roll. Now, towards the end of my punting, um, before uh, GA this time, or before this time actually, before GA joined rejoined GA in my um. Times in the last 28 years, from 1991 to today, I'd had uh, maybe four or five busts. And the bust in GA is when you go back to gambling. Uh, some of the times that I'd gambled uh, and was gamble free was um, you know, five years in between. But uh, I'd bust and caught unaware and off guard, I'd gamble. And the problem was that uh, it became more and more... Um, uh, frequent and heavier I gambled hev- heavier so I just uh, got to the stage where in October again last year when I gave it up I uh, I was at a stage where I just couldn't believe I was going into the TAB and saying well here's my money just take it you know I've got no chance of winning the, yeah. the adrenaline rush had gone
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and that's all it was adrenaline rush and at the time when I was um, uh, gambling in action as they say I would, um, I would gamble a lot of money, but, uh, wasn't really, I didn't think, uh, compared to when I first started gambling, I was always aware of how much money I had on that day to gamble. Like last year, I had no idea how much money I had because I was either on a voucher and it was in the machine and, uh, I just had no no idea of how much money I had, and I got it up quite a, up to quite a bit of money, but unless you got it in your pocket yeah you don 't know on. because yeah. these machines they just take it off and you, know, you go and you 've got so much credit oh i 'll punt this and punt that you know I can recall having uh, having bet on a uh, horse uh, interstate and had a good good winner with on this horse and then by the time the next race came around in that it was actually Adelaide and by the time the next uh, race meeting at uh, race um, came along at Adelaide which was 35 40 minutes later, I'd lost all that money because I was wow. gambling on that. I'd lost all that money yeah. plus a little bit more because I was gambling in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, Queensland yeah. Perth. So it was just, um, it was like Monopoly money, but when I had the money, it was like Monopoly money. But when these voucher machines come in in the TAB, I was just hopeless. I was just addicted to, um became from Monopoly money to just a ticket. And yep. I just re- didn't have the true sense of the value of that money and what that ticket was worth in mo- in money value. Okay. I just wanted to gamble. Yep. And that was a uh, consistency that I had uh, in this, time of uh, it being in action in and, and um and it's a uh, anti-social atmosphere that you're in you don't like talking to people you're in action you're watching the these screens go up and you sometimes towards the end i didn't even watch a race that i gambled on because i was too busy looking for the next race
1: yeah okay yes well <laughs> yes it's insidious isn't it yeah mm. okay well Tim, so we might take another quick break um, I've got some details of a gambling-related performance uh, that's on at the Melbourne Fringe Festival tonight and on the 17th. It's called What's Your Gamble? Theatre for Social Change. It's on September 12th and the 17th at the MC Showroom, 48 Clifton Street, Paran. Tickets are $20 or $10 concession, available through the themelbournefringe.com.au or you can call them on 039660 9666. This is Living Free Show on 3CR digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming i'm talking with john and brendan about recovering from compulsive gambling with the help of gamblers anonymous um so uh, brendan we'll start with you this time so you're struggling living the, the showy lifestyle with a single income and still gambling so how did that work out
2: in the end it doesn't work out at all um i think what happened with me was it um just like it states it gets progressively worse as you go on through the time and each month that you go by you you pay the bills and you have a little bit left over then you pay the bills and you have a little bit less left over the next month then you pay the bills and you have nothing left over and that's when you start ticking over into you know the the real debt cycle and the the juggling of the finances to make sure that you know you can get through the next month all the while Keeping completely hidden from my wife and my family as to what was really going on um, and being able to control all the finances, the secret bank accounts, um, the credit cards you know the the money coming in from work, the money coming in from you know all other sorts of deceitful means uh, just progressively over the time, you get to a point where you know I hit a point where i I needed to pay off a bunch of loans and money so you take out a personal loan thinking you know this will be it i can stop this i'll do this i'll put the money that i need to away i'll keep a little bit extra out of that to make the repayments for the next this month this many amount of months and then i'll you know magically somehow i'll just stop doing this thing which i've been doing for 15 years and yep <laughs> and i'll be home and home okay. <laughs> whereas realistically what happens is i've got the personal loan for more than what you need naturally subconsciously knowing that all you're going to do is gamble that money away anyway and then the money that I had put away you know for a rainy day um ends up disappearing and I think you know then that's when the suspicions started arising from family especially from my wife as to where you know certain money was coming from when it was coming where it was going and then inevitably you know 124 days ago um the that's the, the general, the same conversation that my wife had had with me on numerous occasions, you know, is there anything you want to tell me? Is there anything going on, you know, the normal talk? And then yeah. being, being, you know, the, 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 the ego, the dominating, um, the controlling person that I was, you know, I just you naturally go into, you know, survival mode, battle mode, you get defensive, yeah. you get your back up you 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 try and you, you want to squash the squash it really quickly you want to just yep. put the blame back on her or on, on something else blame someone else you know yep. and I think th- this night in particular was a Thursday night I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it you know dinner was served one of my favourite meals um, a glass of wine was poured and we sat down and she asked me as calm as anything you know have you got anything to tell me and <laughs> automatically your brain starts going your stomach starts racing that whole anxiety that everything gets going and for some reason, I, it's automatic to start lying and to and to cover up. It's just a it's a it becomes yep. a habit. You know, yep. you can, you're not doing it consciously. You're not doing it subconsciously. It's just, it's just life. it flirts yep. out before you can even do anything. Yep. But I knew this time was different. I knew that I knew that she knew something. What I don't know. I still don't know. I don't need to know. And you know, I I, I gave her the tip of the iceberg, I guess. And that's when you know, show me the bank accounts. Show me the accounts. That's when the the magnitude, you know, over the course of that 24-hour period, that's when the magnitude of what I'd done not only hit her, but it probably hit me as yep. well. Yeah. So. And how did that feel, the, the fact that she actually knew as well? Was that good or bad? Um, at the time, I thought my world was going to end. I really yep. thought that, you know, this is it. Like, you know, what have I done? You know, I mean, it's hard to describe the emotions of something you've been carrying you know, probably since a very, very young age that you've been dealing with on your own for such a long period of time, to put that on to somebody else who you, you know, you care about and love more than anything, it, it's it's another burden in its own. But, but I guess what it was was it was a relief that I didn't have to do it anymore. I didn't have to cover it up. I didn't have to lie about it. Yep. So
1: did you go back to GA? Was that part of the agreement?
2: Um it there was, there was, wasn't per se there was an agreement. It was yeah. sort of just a, an acknowledgement that, you know, if you don't do something about this, then I'm gone and I'm taking your son with me. Yeah. And I think the realisation of that, you know, I knew about GA. I, I have known about it for 13 years. Um, I, I went that following Tuesday um, with my best friend who travelled all the way across from the other side of the country. Five minutes later, we were in a car going to, to a meeting. Um, I spoke first because um, I just wanted to get it off my chest and to know that you're in a place where everybody knows what you're going through, everybody understands. There's no judgment. Um, is really was really important. And the first step in you know what I'm sure and what I understand is a, a lifelong change in my character and my person.
1: Yeah. Um. So with with GA going to GA, does that help you not gamble?
2: I think there's a lot of factors that help you not gamble. I think the the, the risk of knowing what. I'm going to lose if I was to gamble again, you know, far outweighs the, the want or need to actually gamble. Um, mm-hmm. But what GA does for me personally is it lets you not forget about what you've done in the past because if you forget the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. So I think it it creates an environment where you can put your ego aside, you can put your bravado aside, you can open up and be raw in an environment where there, re- there really is no judgment. So yeah okay thanks uh well back to you john um so
1: you went to um, Gamble's and honors and I think at that time you um you were married again so what what caused you to sort of go back to g a and start taking it more seriously um
0: well once i was released from jail i was able to get a position um and it uh at entailed going out uh, on the road and uh, spending nights away um, from home, and I had a credit card that I was able to that uh, I was able to use because I, I had to have uh, accommodation and meals and petrol, and I'd be uh, refunded that. But anyway, I went out uh, this Monday, particular it was a Monday, and I was going to Gippsland. <clears throat> I got as far as Sale, and I would uh, uh, burnt the uh, credit card. I'd use all the money. I had no more money left It was um, gone to the max. I'd maxed it out. Yep. So I had to go home and uh, I had to tell my wife because she said, well, what are you doing home? And I had to disclose that I'd done this again because of gambling. And, she just said, you've got to do something about it, otherwise we're finished. Uh, so uh, basically I went to uh, South Melbourne. We were living in Germana at the time. I went to South Melbourne, GA. And um, I found people uh, there that were exactly in the same position as me and uh, it just evolved, about, uh, evolved around that. I went home that night and I was so uh, relieved after all these years of gambling, having this addiction and admitting that uh, my wife, my life had become unmanageable because of this gambling, that I was able to go, keep going back to GA and I was in recovery and... Uh, that was just so good, but uh, along the way, um, in the past 28 years that I've been in in and out of GA, I've busted. They call it bust when you gamble, and the reason I uh, I know the reason that I busted was because I um, disengaged from GA. I stopped going to meetings and uh, thinking that I was. Um, I was uh, I was cured of this disease, and it didn't really I didn't know where the next race meeting was, and didn't really care. But as I said, that um, caught off guard, and in, under the right circumstances, um, I was uh, <clears throat> I began to gamble again. And this happened on four or five occasions, so uh, I kept going back to GA. My my wife actually can identify with the fact that I'm uh, I'm gambling. She knows yeah, when yeah. I gamble because she knows a change of character. Um, I I don't believe that she – I didn't believe that she could do it, but then I'd start lying and there'd be money missing, and she knew straight away. Yeah. You know? And that's a legacy that I'd left her with, and I've left her with this legacy. I'm not Mistrust in me and the fact that I, uh, when I'm in action, I can be a – it's a Jekyll and Hyde. I'm, I'm an absolute um, – I'm a, a devil. I'm the I'm, I'm, – really bad when I'm in in that uh, in action in that mm. gambling mode because all I want to do is gamble and take money and uh, tell lies and be really deceitful so my wife even though she says to me uh she it's not uh, being uh, not nagging but she asks about where I'm going she knows the days of the meetings that I attend now and uh I will be uh forever indebted to her, you know, because she drives me to go to GA. It's not that I don't want to go to GA. You know, like I go on a Tuesday night to a, a meeting and uh, and it starts at 7.30, but I, I found myself last Tuesday this week or this week, I was getting ready at 3 o'clock to yeah. go to the meeting because <laughs> I, I really do look forward to it and, and listening to the stories of other people in GA, the other members, um, you know, you go there, you keep going and you can relate to a lot of the stories, but then you find... Uh, other stories that uh, people have uh know uh, yeah, they 're addicted to like brendan said you know on the uh, the apps through the apps and through different uh, uh other meanings of gambling and you know my my poison was the race and the t a b yeah um so I enjoy going to g a it 's given me a new life and when i 'm in this um in recovery it 's just so good and I spoke to brendan during the week and He said that in America he listens to a broadcast or a podcast and the man says that he was a compulsive gambler, even though he is. So I said that on Tuesday night, that I was a a compulsive gambler back in October. I wasn't a a compulsive gambler and I just, I hope and uh, I need to be uh, in that frame of mind that I was a compulsive gambler and eliminate me from those positions where I'm uh, be diligent in the fact that I uh, have to recognize the fact that I can't be caught off guard and cross that invisible line and make me gamble again because I am absolutely a terrible, terrible person, a deceitful, lying, uh, just no, a, a terrible human being. Yeah. When I'm gambling, but when I'm not gambling, I've yep. got to be the first to say I'm in a, I am a good person. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I've gone through what I've gone, that it's, yeah. uh, it's just. It's so uh, so uh, great, and it's, and it's very healthy, being a non-gambler. Yeah. It's great. I really uh, am enjoying my recovery. And uh, if people out there have a gambling problem, you know, it's um, try and get yourself to, or not try, but endeavour to get yourself to a GA meeting. Uh, it's very daunting when you first go in there, but it does work. I can promise you it does work. If it doesn't work on the first night like Brendan found out, he's come back and there are a lot of people in the in the fellowship like Brendan that have come back and me over 28 years. There are so many people uh, that have uh, been able to... It does work. Believe me, it does work. Yep. And, uh, since 1957 when the fellowship was um, founded, it's worked for thousands and thousands of people worldwide and it can work for you. You're not alone in this. Please go to a GA meeting. Use the directory and ring because we have people that uh, will assist you and guide you right to the first a uh, GA meeting throughout Victoria or wherever you are. They'll help you. So please do yourself a favour. Uh, you're not alone.
1: Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, so if anybody would like to find out more about GA Gamblers Anonymous, you can phone them on 03 9696 6108 or go online at gaaustralia.org.au. Um, Brendan, just sort of to finish up, um, so what's it like now living with your family and not gambling compared to when you're gambling and, and hiding it from your family?
2: It's it's a completely different life. I refer to it now as the the new Brendan versus the old Brendan. I think mm. is the only way to cut you know, to, to 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 put it because when you're in active addiction and you're and you're doing that and you're lying and you're deceitful. And you have no regard for your family, for your friends, for your loved ones, you really are not the person that you that you're meant to be and I think now what it's done what it's done for me is it's taken a great burden off my shoulders i've got the right people around me supporting me um, I've got people learning about the addiction and the disease that you know that may may not have understood or people may yeah. never understand but it's given me a new lease on life and the ability to watch my son and any Future children that I may have grow and hopefully teach them and yeah. show them the right way to be.
1: Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, well, listen, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank John and Brendan for coming to the 3CR studio and sharing their Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Bill. I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from alcoholism and we'll be joined by Frenchie and Bron from Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks again for listening to Living Free Program. <coughs>